Amazing. Thanks so much, Satendra. If you want to follow along, there are some uh, points, I think, in here. Um, but let's pray as we come to God's Word together. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to fix our eyes on what is unseen. May we have a sense of the glory of Christ that we can't see with our physical eyes. May we know that you are our Father. We pray that by your Spirit you've helped us to be convinced of these things as we come to your word now, in Jesus' name. Amen. So over these few weeks, we're doing this short series uh, called Our Gospel Vision, or Our Gospel Mission. And we're looking at chapters 4 and 5 of 2 Corinthians, where Paul talks about his gospel mission. And we're asking, what mission has God given us? What does God want us to be about as a church. Now, when I was younger, we were away for three weeks in the summer, three weeks straight to France. Um, but you'd, you'd come back, and three weeks is a long time, isn't it? You know, it's three Mondays, three Tuesdays, you know how it works. It's a long time. So, so you'd come back, and there was always a bit of you that kind of thinks, what do I, what do, I do again? What does normal life look like? How, how do I do my job? What is my job about? Now, I was a paper boy back then, so it wasn't too complicated to work out what my job was about. But, but you know what I mean. You've been away for a prolonged period of time from work, from the UK, whatever it is, and you come back and there's a, it's a little bit disorientating. And I think that's how it feels a bit for us as a church, isn't it? At least for me, we've, we've had these odd 18 months. We, we, we stopped doing the things that we normally do, and now we're back. And the question is, what should life look like for us? What is the mission that God has given us? Well, last week we saw that our gospel mission is to share Christ, to preach Jesus Christ as Lord. First, we do that for our own sakes, that we might know him, that we might behold him, but then also for the sake of others, that they too might find life in Jesus' name. And the message of our gospel mission is glorious. The message is Jesus Christ is Lord. That is a glorious message. But we're going to see this week that are far from glorious. Paul says about his gospel mission in verse 8, we are hard pressed, we are perplexed, we are persecuted, we are struck down, we carry in our bodies the death of Christ. You see, the message of our gospel mission is glorious. Jesus is Lord. The messengers are far from glorious. Let's think about that. Let's think about why it has to be that way. First of all, our weakness magnifies Christ's glory. Our weakness magnifies Christ's glory. Have a look down. It says we have this treasure in jars of clay. Now, jars of clay were like the kind of plastic bags of the first century. Before we introduced the plastic bag, Levy and, and Sainsbury's and other supermarkets started doing the kind of bag for life thing. We'd use a plastic bag once, maybe twice, and then we'd throw it away. And, unless that is you were my nan and she was a stash of about a thousand plastic bags under her sink. But normally we'd use it once, throw it away. And jars of clay, they had a similar use. They were used once or twice and then discarded. They were expendable. They were unimpressive to look at. They were cheap. 
And Paul says, those who hold out the gospel, especially Christian ministers, are like jars of clay. Unimpressive. Easily broken. They are not empty. There is treasure inside them. Paul calls it this treasure in verse 7, and he's referring back to what he's just said. The treasure is the gospel. The gospel of the glory of Christ. It's the gospel that displays the greatness of Christ. And this treasure, the gospel of the glory of Christ, is presented to the world, it's brought to the world by men and women who are jars of clay, weak and unimpressive. So why does God do it this way? Why does he insist on carrying this treasure in jars of clay? So that the beauty of Christ would be magnified. I was originally going to say enhance, the beauty of Christ enhanced. But of course that doesn't work, does it? We can't enhance the glory of Christ. We can't improve Jesus in any way. But we can magnify his glory. When you magnify something, you you, you don't add to it. You don't improve upon it, you just draw attention to it, you make it clearer. That is our gospel mission, to magnify the glory of Christ to the world, to show the world his excellence. And how do we do it? Jars of clay. When those who hold out the gospel are ordinary, unimpressive, easily broken, when they are jars of clay, then your eyes are drawn not to the jar of clay, but to the treasure inside. Eliza, um, our third youngest, eldest, third child anyway, uh, used to love giving presents. Still does in in many ways, but, but the thing she really loved was actually making the wrapping paper or or finding something to wrap the present in. So she'd spend all this time drawing little pictures and colouring them in and finding really kind of pretty material from around the house. And and she'd get the the kind of thing on the outside and then she'd find something random, like a nail or a screw or some pretend money and, and wrap it up and give it to someone. But the thing is that the vessel, the container, the wrapping paper was so much nicer than the present. So I'd keep the paper or the, 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 the thing that was wrapped in and, and throw the pretend coin back in the toy box. What Paul is talking about here is the exact opposite of that. The gift of the gospel, the gift of Christ is magnified because the vessel, the wrapping paper it comes in is so ordinary. We have this treasure in jars of clay. There's a hymn that we we, we sometimes sing, May the Mind of Christ, My Saviour. It was written a hundred years ago by a lady called Kate Wilkinson. And the last verse that she put down is this. It will be on the screen. May his beauty rest upon me as I seek the lost to win. And may they forget the channel, seeing only him. That captures powerfully what Paul is getting at here the treasure of the gospel, the beauty of Christ that we hold out is magnified because we who carry it are jars of clay. May they forget seeing only him. 
And that must have some impact on the way we think about gospel mission at Redeemer, that the way we think about church. What, what, what do we want people to, to find most striking about Redeemer? If they visit, what, what do we want them to go away clear in their minds? I'll let you into some of the things that, that I think, and I'm not saying these are all good things, but you know, I want people to leave Redeemer thinking we're a well-run church. You know, we're slick, we know what we're doing. Or, or, or I want people to leave Redeemer thinking we've got our finger on the kind of pulse of culture. You're thinking, this is ridiculous. None of these things are true. But this, this is sometimes what goes through my mind. Or, or I want people to leave Redeemer thinking we're, we're compassionate and kind-hearted, welcoming and generous. I don't think any of those things are necessarily bad. But Paul would say, I want people to leave Redeemer thinking, isn't Christ incredible? Isn't he rich in mercy and love? Isn't he powerful and good? I want to know him more. The message of our gospel mission is glorious. It's Christ. But the messengers are glorious. We have this treasure in jars of clay so that the glory of Christ might be magnified in us. There's another reason why the messengers are far from glorious. Our weakness magnifies the glory of Christ. Secondly, our sufferings display the power of God. Have a look at the rest of verse 7. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. When our gospel mission looks and feels weak, something becomes really clear. That the power to transform life, the power to bring life, is all God's. All-surpassing power. That sounds like a lot of power, doesn't it? You read that and you're expecting something quite spectacular for God to step in in some spectacular way. When I'm playing football with the kids, usually, usually I'll go easy on them. Uh, I let them take the ball off me. I'll kind of hang back in goal. I'll let them shoot and score. And if I've got one of them on my team, like maybe little Elijah, our youngest, you know, I'll pass the ball to him. I'll stay back and I'll let him have the ball and he can kind of go forward and all that kind of thing. But then occasionally, who has the skills in the house? And so I push Elijah to one side, I run off down the pitch, I flick it over the other two, and then pull back and, and shoot hard into the goal. They're all under 11, but it does still feel good. And we read here, all surpassing power of God, and we think, is that what God is going to do? Push Paul to one side, push us to one side, and say, look, this is how it's done. This is how you do gospel mission. Stand back and watch. But God's all-surpassing power doesn't look like that. Have a look at verse 8. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. You, you can clearly see the weakness that Paul has talked about, can't you? You can see what it means to be jars of clay. We are hard-pressed on every side. It's true for Paul. P people from all sides oppose Paul, whether Romans or Jewish leaders or Greeks. We were 
perplexed. There were moments when Paul couldn't see a way through, moments when he couldn't understand why it was so difficult, why had obstacles, seemingly, in the path of the gospel. We, we were persecuted. Paul was imprisoned, he was whipped, he was beaten, he was chased out of towns, he was stoned. We were struck down. You can see the gospel mission. You can see what he means when he talks about being jars of clay. But what about the all-surpassing power of God? What does that look like in gospel mission? Is it God saying to Paul and the other apostles, you stand aside, I'll show you how it's done? No, it's more subtle than that. The all-surpassing power of God means that no matter how bad things get, this gospel mission will never fail. So Paul may have been hard-pressed on every side, but, verse 8, he was never crushed. He may have been perplexed and at a loss and unclear, but, verse 8, he never despaired. He may have been persecuted, but he was never abandoned by the Lord. He may have been struck down, but he was never the all-surpassing power of God doesn't mean our gospel mission will suddenly look really impressive and be really easy. Instead, it means that our gospel mission will never fail. The opponents of God, the opponents of the gospel, whether spiritual or physical, can throw everything they like at this gospel mission. But they'll never stop it. And isn't that what we've seen since the early church, throughout history, you know, across history, and, and even today across the world, the church has been hard-pressed on every side, it has been perplexed, it has been persecuted and struck down, but the all-surpassing power of God means the gospel mission has never stopped since Jesus Christ lives again and was ascended to heaven. The church has not been crushed or left in despair, or abandoned, or destroyed. No, one generation of hard-pressed, perplexed, persecuted, struck-down believers have passed on the gospel mission to another generation, who have passed it on to another generation, and it has kept going. The all-surpassing power of God is seen in our weakness. Though we are weak, the gospel is unstoppable. But look, sometimes don't you think, why, why does it have to be this way? If God has all-surpassing power, why doesn't he just step in and make things a bit easier for us? You know, why isn't Paul's testimony, we are welcomed on all sides? We always know the right thing to do. We are honoured and respected wherever we go. Why does the Lord want us to be jars of clay, weak and breakable? Well, it's because that way we will depend upon him and his power. Because only his power can save. That's what we saw last week, isn't it? Remember what Paul said, that left to ourselves, we are blind to the gospel. We cannot see the goodness and the glory of Christ. The only way that someone can come to faith in Jesus is if God opens their eyes. 
Or, or as he says in verse chapter 4, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, makes his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. As we go about our gospel mission to make Christ known to the world, we need to do so reliant and dependent on the power of God to open blind eyes. Our weakness will keep us prayerful. Our weakness will keep us to do his wonderful work. And let's be honest, we need that constant reminder, don't we? Because we are so tempted to look elsewhere to find to help people come to faith. We rightly are so desperate for our friends and family, for the people that we work with, to experience the joy and hope and salvation that can be theirs in Christ, that we will look to anything that might help. The, the right program of events, the, the right technique in the way to communicate, strategy, the right kind of buzz about a Sunday morning, the right new staff appointment, whatever it is. And we look to those things and then we forget that it is the Lord who says over darkened hearts, let there be light. It's not the Alpha Course. It's not Christianity Explored or our amazing online presence or our program of events. They cannot say over darkened hearts, let there be light. Only the Lord can do that. Now, I am not saying that we shouldn't try those things. Of course, we should find the best and most persuasive ways to communicate. We should put on events that make Christianity more accessible. But this is the point. The Lord will always make it feel hard. He will always make it difficult for us. He will always allow us to face discouragements and setbacks. Why? To remind us that the power to save comes from him so that we continually would turn to him in prayer and look to him for new life the message of our mission is glorious but we the messages are far from glorious why our weakness magnifies christ's glory our sufferings display god's power but finally our dying leads to life in verse 10, Paul tells us what his gospel mission feels like. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus. He says something similar in verse 11. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. What does it feel like to be on mission, Paul? It feels like dying. And he's careful to link it to Jesus. If the death of Jesus, or more literally the dying of Jesus, it, it is the dying of Jesus that Paul carries around with him. And so if we are going to hold out that Christ to the world, then we shouldn't be surprised if we experience something of what he himself experienced. Our gospel mission probably won't feel as much like death as it did for Paul, but if we are open about our allegiance to Christ above all, if we are unashamed about Jesus' teachings in the scripture, our gospel mission will feel more and more like dying. 
As Christ lost acceptance among his peers, well, so will we. As Christ was belittled, we be. As Christ was hounded out and shut down, then so will we be. Our gospel mission will feel like, so why carry on? Why would you keep going with something like that? Well, why not just be quiet and hidden as a Christian? Me and my salvation, I'm okay. Because it's worth it. Because our dying will mean life. It will mean life for others and life for ourselves. Look again at verse 10. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Again in verse 12. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. We, we may be dying when we go about our gospel life. It reveals the gospel of Christ. So do you see what Paul is saying? Our dying, our suffering, our pain, our weakness, our loss, it is worth, it is worth every bit of it because it means life. We must defend the gospel in public before others. We must proclaim it and share it even if it means we carry around with us the death of Jesus because our dying will mean life for others. And more than that, and just as we finish... We keep going with our gospel mission because we know it will mean life for us as well. Look at what Paul says in verse 13. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. He's quoting from Psalm 116 and in that psalm, the psalmist is being opposed because he puts his faith in God. But the psalmist is so convinced of the goodness and glory of God that he won't stop proclaiming that God. And Paul is saying the same. He will continue his gospel mission to speak about Christ because he is convinced it is true. I believe and therefore I must speak. And look at verse 14. Look at what he is so convinced of. We will keep proclaiming Christ, even if it means death for us. Why? Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. The thing that Paul is so utterly convinced of, the thing that he fully believes is that the dead will also raise him. Do you see? It's worth dying now. It's worth losing all now, being part of this gospel mission to preach Jesus Christ as Lord, because this life isn't it. We don't have to live our best life now. Because we know, we believe, we are convinced that the one who raised Jesus from the dead will also raise us. And because we believe that, we speak. And listen to how this eternal perspective helps Paul come to terms with the dying in the present. Verse 16. Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles 
are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. With his eyes fixed on eternity, his heart convinced that the resurrection is coming, Paul is able to describe his suffering and his pain as light and momentary. That's extraordinary, isn't it? When you think about all that he went through. What is so wonderful about this future life that means Paul can call his sufferings light troubles? We could say many things. But what does he draw our attention to back in verse 14? He is convinced that he will be raised with Jesus and presented to Jesus. He will stand before his saviour with a mix of awe and joy and before the glory of Christ, all the pain and suffering and darkness he experienced will seem light and momentary. There's this great moment in Lord of the Rings when Samwise urges Frodo to keep going on his quest to destroy the ring. Listen to what he says, it'll be on the screen. It's like the great stories, Mr. Frodo, the ones that really mattered, full of darkness and danger that know the end. Because how could the end be happy? How could the work go, world go back to the way it was when so much bad had happened? But in the end, it's only a passing thing this shadow. Even darkness must pass. A new day will come. And when the sun shines, it will shine out the clearer. We wake up, raised from the dead, and we see the blazing sun of Christ our Lord standing before us. All the darkness that we have experienced will have passed. And before us will be only joy and feasting and fruitfulness and laughter and life upon life. And then we'll look back on our troubles and see them for what they were, light and momentary, compared to the weight of glory of the life that spreads out before us. We keep going in our gospel mission, even if it feels like dying, because the gospel we speak leads to life for others and life for ourselves. And so the message of our gospel mission is glorious, Jesus Christ. But the messengers are far from glorious. Why? Because our weakness magnifies the glory of Christ and our suffering displays the power of God and our dying means life. Moment of quiet, I'm going to pray. Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs. Heavenly Father, set our hearts and our minds to that resurrection morning, to our resurrection morning, when we will be raised with Christ and presented to him, and our vision will be filled with the splendor of his majesty. 
His goodness and his love will flow over us and set before us will be life upon life. Father, with that hope in our hearts, may we be willing to die in whatever way that might look like as we speak of Christ to others. We pray that in our weakness he would be magnified and your glory would be displayed and that in our dying others would find life. In Jesus' name, amen.